What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number 85. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. How's it going, dude? It's going pretty well. I'm hot off my uh, double feature victory that, that we just got to watch. Man, double feature, it has some nonsense going on in there. I, I honestly really like this format. I don't think it should cost $8 to buy a pack or whatever it is, but <laughs> but uh, I do like the format. Yeah, that's fair. We talked about it before. It's basically like Innistrad Cube and uh feels feels pretty fun definitely a fun draft experience finding little micro synergies between the two sets has been pretty rewarding and i've been posting some nonsense deck lists in the in the discord mostly in the trophy section <laughs> well speaking of if you're not already in the discord check it out it's the best place to go to stay up to date on all things draft chaff as well as chat about different things going on in magic and in life we've got some cool spoiler season channels up to kind of just go over some of the spoilers that we've been seeing for uh, Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. Of course, that will be closing shortly in order to bring in the actual format. Uh, we're getting very close to being able to play that format, so definitely jump in there. It's going to be very hyped and very energetic as we come into this new new format season as well. And if you're interested in supporting the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash pod. Huge, huge thanks to all of our patrons who continue to support us each and every week. In our content creation, we are absolutely beyond grateful for all of you. And um, I saw some of the folks have started getting some of their um, Draft Chaff heroes from previous formats, so it was really cool to see. Thanks for posting those in the Discord as well. Perks on the Patreon include things like our Draft Doctor series, stickers, show notes, unedited recordings of the show, and our Draft Chaff hero cards sent right to you, signed by us. Um, just a little little token of our appreciation there for our patrons. Again, you can check that out at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod. All right, Ben, we've got a crack draft type thing. What you got? I've got a pack two pick eight to send Val off into the sunset. Uh, it, it, of course, is our format farewell. And Val has been an interesting set. Not everyone's favorite. I think I liked it more than most. I think I kind of got used to it after a little while. It just kind of clicked for me. Every once in a while, a set does that. And I really liked the red aggressive strategies in this set. Falcon Wrath Celebrants, just, just one of my favorite cards in a long time. And, and some other little stuff like, I don't know, Traveling Minister made, made the aggressive decks kind of my wheelhouse. And I happen to have uh, one of those decks underway here in this pack two pick eight and quick draft. In my deck so far, I've got some pretty good stuff. I have two Lamholt Raconteurs, so maybe trying to go a little bit of the spells route. I have a Rending Flame, two Reckless Impulses, and a Sure Strike in red. Nice little spells package. In white, I have two traveling ministers, three ceremonial knives, a drug skull infantry, parish blade trainees, uh, two of them, a valorous stance, and a voice of the blessed and kindly ancestor, uh, which I'm, I'm trying to pick together this little life gain package here with those in the traveling ministers, hoping that I can get this voice of the blessed turn two and really pop off with it. Now the pack that I have, I said this is a pick eight because I had a bit of a tough call here. In this pack, there are seven cards remaining. Let's do the bad ones first. Sheltering Bows. No thanks. Green card. Not interested. Apprentice Sharpshooter. Another green three drop that I'm not interested in. Laid to Rest. Green four drop. I like this card. It's a lot of fun when it works. Not interested in it right now. And sorry, Estwald Shield Basher. Pretty fun little combo with the Kindly Ancestor, but the red cards in this pack are going to beat you out by a good amount. First up is Ballista Watcher. Thoughts on this? Blister Watcher is fantastic. I have never been disappointed to play this card, and if you can keep it on the flip side where it doesn't have to tap to activate, oh boy, that thing does work. Yep. In fact, I was just uh, I was just playing a game where my opponent had three one toughness creatures, and I top decked the Ballista Wa uh, Ballista Watcher, and it's just like man. <laughs> yeah, lights out. Next up, Falcon Wrath Celebrants. It's the five mana four four menace that makes two bloods. Love this card. So nice. You just don't have to play anything past your fifth land. You can just loot away all of your lands past your fifth one. It's it's such a cool little play pattern. A little, little built-in synergy. Yeah, for sure. Last but not least, Flame Blessed Bolt is our last card in the pack. So really, the three things that I'm looking at here are the Ballista Watcher, the Falcon Red Celebrants, and the Flame Blessed Bolt. I'm a little low on removal right now. I mentioned that I had the, uh, the Valorous Stance and the Rending Flame. But besides that... Is it a sure strike? Ceremonial knife? Uh, not quite it. Yeah, I think the 
Flame Blessed Bolt is probably the discipline pick here. Not having really any removal can be pretty problematic, but you're putting it up against two very powerful cards that are going to do a lot of work in your deck anyway. Now, right now, your curve is topping out at four mana, so maybe you won't want to take the Falconrath Celebrants just because you want to keep your curve that much lower. And the Blister Watcher slots in nicely at four as well. And maybe, I don't I don't know what the rest of this draft has looked like. You might have thought, hey, I can pick up another Flame Blast Bolt later on in the draft. But I think the Discipline pick would have been taking the removal here. I don't think I would have done that. I probably would have just taken the Watcher. Yeah, uh, I actually took the Watcher here. And I, I agree. I think the Flame Blessed Bolt would have been the best pick. It's a great combo with the Raconteurs. And this kind of deck would want to pick up some of the Fire Breathers too. It doesn't look like the best aggressive card in the world. It has weird stats for an aggressive card. It's a 1-3, right? But a 1-3 ETB deal 5 to an opponent <laughs> for 2 mana, you would, you would take like 10 of those and put them in a deck. If you build around it properly, it can be that and more. It can also be a lot less than that, you know context matters uh, and plus reckless impulse you really want to have one cost spells that pair with it i already have the traveling ministers and i usually only play one ceremonial knife i don't love having two it gets kind of clunky but uh the flame blessed bolt is perfect for that nothing feels better than a uh, on turn three let's say you, you don't have any other lands in hand you cast it and you exile mountain flame blessed bolt you're like all right i'm right back in the game i think flame well, probably would have been the pick here. I took the Watcher. Yeah, I mean, it's it's also meant, I'm, I'm sure some listeners are thinking, well, Ballista Watcher is a removal spell as well. And that's true. It does basically for, fill that function. But I think in a deck with two Raconteurs, you, you really do want to have some spells that are not creatures. So again, that's why I, I was saying that the Flame Blessed Bolt is probably the discipline pick. Still would have taken the Watcher. This draft actually came to a very sad and abrupt end. It was a 1-3 in the end, unfortunately. And I actually posted the deciding play in the Discord because I was I was pretty tilted, I'll admit. I, I, I don't get tilted very often. You know, I love this game and, and I think I keep a pretty level head. But one of the rare instances where I was just like, oh, you, this is a joke. Like, what's going on here? I had a 5-6 a Kindly Ancestor, and my opponent's on, like, two, two or three life. I had There were some other creatures on the board, but I was so stable. And they took my 5-6 with Bloody Betrayal, top decked off the top of their library, and uh, killed me with my own massive lifelinker. So that was just... Uh, I was rallying. I was like, all right, time to turn this run around. 1-2, I can turn this into a 7-2. It wasn't meant to be. Well, with that, on to our Teferi Tybalt. This is a Roses and Thorns style segment where Ben and I share a high and a low from the past week. I think I'll take this one this week. For me, my Teferi is that uh, I've been getting some decent TV out of the way, like catching up on some stuff. I rewatched like all the Hobbit stuff and Lord of the Rings recently, which has been fun. And I found myself with a nice balance of time to waste in terms of like just doing, you know, brainless things like watching TV. And actually getting like stuff done. I've been keeping up with habits. I, I started like tracking a bunch of habits just before the new year and been keeping up with a lot of them very well. So I, I'm pretty pleased with the progress I've been making there. And yeah, I think that's it for my Teferi. Tybalt, been getting like weird headaches every so often. I tend to get these. Um, I think part of it is probably just spending, you know, like 75% of my time in front of screens, like a massive screen at that for work and stuff. So mm-hmm. probably a lot of it is that, but I'm hoping as weather starts to get a little bit nicer, if it gets a little bit nicer here, March can be really bipolar month. So maybe February can can give us some nice weather before we get into March. Really? Yeah, I'm hoping we get into like some nice spring weather and we actually get a bit of that up here in the Northeast. A lot of times we will get like maybe two weeks of spring and then it's just hot like summer weather for the rest of, you know, basically through August, uh, September. But hopefully uh, we get some nice weather so I can get outside. I'm like getting kind of tired of being cooped up. Totally feel you. I remember walking outside this morning and thinking, oh, it's it's kind of warm outside today. It's been it's so much nicer than it usually is. And then I checked the thermometer and it was 27. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and I wow. was like, wow, uh, my standards have just <laughs> they, they're, 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 they're down in the gutter right now. Yeah, well, so. we did have a lot of cold weather recently, but up here it actually ended up getting like when I was like basically finishing up work, it was like mid 40s. Mm. Yeah, nice. <laughs> and lucky you. <laughs> So this week, I also got some good watching, and I've been rewatching The Legend of Korra, which I haven't seen in, in quite a while. I've seen it less than I have Avatar. It's not Avatar The Last Airbender at all, but, you know, I, I wanted to re-examine it with a more uh, more critical eye, and there's a lot of little lines and threads here and there throughout the story that I didn't pick up on the first uh, maybe the first one or two times that I'd seen it, so I appreciated that. It's a good show. 
uh, Zaheer, one of the best villains uh, in, in, you know, the whole cinematic universe that Avatar's got going on in there. Love Zaheer. Awesome, dude. Anyway, uh, February is a pretty busy month for me. Uh, it's it's my birthday later this month. I've got a few concerts this month to go to. One of my cousins is getting married. Uh, and most importantly, the Kamigawa set release is, is coming up. And we actually just made plans to go to a pre-release. I don't know. If, if you're in New York City for pre-release, you might see us there. Uh, I guess you'll see. So that'll be all. That'll be all some some good stuff. And uh, I don't know, going to an in-person pre-release for the first time, and and well, since last time. But you know, it just feels so weird uh, going back and and kind of readjusting to it all. I, I still am looking forward to get back to some of the larger tournaments if they ever come back. I don't know, a GP or something like that. Maybe someday. Yeah, that would be nice. My Tibble, I think I could use an extra two hours or so every day. Because while I do spend my time doing schoolwork and doing all this stuff. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that I haven't been able to do as much. I, I've kind of fallen off playing my instruments that I that I like to practice, and I just kind of wish I had a little bit extra time. And that got me thinking, like, really, the only uh, the only reason that we have 24-hour days is, you know, evolution and Earth's rotation, right? So why don't we just kind of collectively agree that days should last 26 hours, you know? Yeah, but if we did that, then corporate America would make us work like 10 hour days on on average and oh. it, you just lose those those hours to work. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Well, let's let's just sneak these hours in in the middle of the night and not tell corporate America. There you go. What we should do is make everything more efficient and go to a four day work week and mm. uh, just just get a, get a day back. That would be great. That would be great. Honestly, I think it's a big push in our generation to get this four-day work week to be a thing. And from the research that I've seen, people love it. And it not only doesn't decrease overall efficiency, it kind of increases it from what I've from what I've seen. Yeah, and a lot of the studies that have been done that people have or companies have shown that it, their their employees are actually a lot more productive on a shorter shorter work week. Who's to say? I doubt we'll see any sort of like f- across the board mandates for it, but individual companies are starting to adopt it, which, you know, hopefully will be like similar to the work from home thing. Hopefully it'll be something that just gets adopted across the board. Yeah, ideally. Man, who would have thought that when people don't hate their lives, <laughs> they're happier? Well, with that, on to our listener question of the week. This week, our question comes from Andy. Can you name the countries in the UK? How many do you think there are? So kind of two questions here. My disclaimer is that I didn't realize this was in our listener questions chat, and I answered this prior to the show. I did end up getting it right. It was a complete guess on my part, but I did get it right. So, Ben, I'm curious from your perspective if you can answer this. Oh, God. Okay, so (laughs) those that know me know that science, math, music, these are my wheelhouses. These are where I'm most confident. However, geography is honestly, probably if I had to rank like subjects, I think it is the worst thing for me i'm not even entirely sure i could like tell you what every u.s state on the map was i'm not confident (laughs) that i could do that (laughs) like the dakotas like what arkansas is the one that looks kind of weird right like i don't know that's not even a dakota (laughs) no no you know what i you know what i mean and like 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 montana uh, do we really need to know where all these are do they really even exist to us east coast folks this has always just been a, a thing that my brain specifically has never really latched onto <laughs> very well. And I've never actually been to Europe. So I don't really have any kind of experiential knowledge, which you actually do, right? Yeah, I've been to Germany a few times and layovers in some other countries, but I've never actually gotten to see other countries. Hope, hoping to pl- change that. I'd like to do the whole digital nomad thing for a little while and like country hop mm, for a bit. Hopefully that'll happen in the next couple of years though. Um, No no set plans for it yet, but I don't think you're alone. I think that's actually a really common quote unquote issue. Depending on who you talk to, it, it may or may not be an issue, but in, in the US at least, I think it's a very common thing. Like most Americans, in my opinion, I don't have any data to back this up. Most Americans seem to just not care about geography one way or another, especially not geography outside of the continental u.s so if i had to take my best guess here i don't know it's pretty small over there there can't be that many right no more than no more than 10 let's go with like there's well i know there's england and uh probably a few more right (laughs) (laughs) there are is ireland part of this sort of is northern ireland part of this yes (laughs) okay okay uh what is it like like five or six there are four. Ah, okay, okay. What are the other ones? What did I miss? Uh, so you got England, Northern Ireland, Scotland, and Wales. Oh, interesting. So, so 
what's like the technicality here? Is the UK like what, what would you call that? Like a country sector, like a group? Yeah, I don't actually know how how it is really classified. I guess to think of like in ways you could think about it. I don't know. It's like almost because there there are laws within just the UK that's like not part of the rest of the yeah, European Union. Yeah. European Union. So I don't really know how to classify it to be honest. If you are from the UK, please drop us some info in the Discord. Uh, help help educate us, uh, stupid Americans <laughs> overseas. Y'all make the best tea. Don't never change. All right. So this week we are saying farewell to Crimson Vow. We've been on Innistrad for a little while, and it's time to say goodbye. So, we're going to walk through our usual Chaff Awards, our Chaffies, and give out those to a handful of cards throughout the set, and just overall have some banter about what we thought of the set as we move into Kamigawa here. So, first Chaffy Award goes to Most Powerful Card, and Ben, who'd you give it to? I gotta go Toxroll on this one. There's a lot of powerful cards in this format. I think there's some runner-ups here. Helena and Elena, honestly, is up there for me, too. Uh, but Wedding Invitation snuck up there in the 17 lands data. The old Breakfast Demon, <laughs> that's another similar to Toxrill in that it costs a million mana. You have to be playing black, and when you resolve it, it usually just ends the game. Abbrook Caretaker on design alone. Uh, but I think Toxrill really beats all of these out. No card makes me just hit the concede button, like seeing my opponent play a Toxrill. It just, it just basically invalidates whatever you had done. I think I may have beaten a Toxrill once, maybe. It's just such a stupid card. It's just over the top. It does it all. I think on raw power, the Chaffee's got to go to Toxroll. I agree with you. One runner-up that you didn't mention that I was a little bit hurt about was Hullbreaker Horror. Card is just ridiculous. Oh, yeah. It's it's absolutely stupid, especially in Constructed. Like, mm -hmm. it, It's like as long as you have the ability to play anything, literally anything that's not a land, after you've cast this card, you're going to win the game. Yeah, uh, ideally you cast it with one mana up. Or even oh, yeah. better, you, you play oh, yeah. it on their end step when they're tapped out. Just just nonsense. Honestly, I really enjoyed playing with these stupid rares. And sure, every once in a while, you're going to get crushed by a tox rule, and it invalidates your whole game that you played, and you feel bad, right? I don't necessarily think this is bad for magic as a game, right? This where Every once in a while, we have a set where there's just bombs upon bombs. This was kind of fun. I mean, when you open a tox rule, don't lie, you're like, Oh boy, it's Toxrill time. Like, what goes around comes around. And I guess uh, this maybe goes more for people that draft a lot, uh, like us, where we have a kind of law of large numbers thing going on where we're going to kind of get to see a lot of the ends of the spectrum. We're going to have some drafts where we never see any uh, any rares and we get, you know, obliterated by Olivia's attendance and Toxrills and such. And then we'll also have drafts where we wind up with stupid overpowered decks. I don't know. I, I thought overall this was a, an interesting texture for a format to have. Yeah, it's kind of right in the middle of like a Prince Popper format where it's not War of the Spark, right? Where where like literally if, if your opponent played certain bombs, you could not win the game. I, I might say Toxel it is like comes that. pretty close to that. But I, <laughs> in my experience, it was not as there weren't as many of them as there were in War of the Spark, I guess is more what I mean. Mm. I remember War of the Spark being like absolutely awful in terms of the princiness of the format maybe this came close i i'm not sure that i played this as much as i did uh war of the spark so that could be like you said law of numbers thing but there were a lot of bomby rares there were a lot of bomby mythics and i i agree with you though i think it's it's not unhealthy i mean if we always had poppery formats where like you're there were no bombs or the bombs are very, very easy to deal with, it would get really boring. And so I like having one set every now and then kind of mix that up. Now, I wouldn't ex I wouldn't be super happy to see the next set to follow this up also be a, pr a really princey format. I like having sort of waves of that. And so far, it's hard to tell if, if Kamigawa is going to be that. I don't really think it will. But Kamigawa's got some weird stuff going on, so I'm excited to see what it looks like. Uh, when it actually plays out. Yeah, I think I would ultimately put this in the Prince category just because there were a lot of these rares. And I think we all kind of recognized it too. We, we all knew right away, oh, Toxroll, this is a stupid card. Aberbrook Caretaker, th th these are silly. Cemetery Desecrator, like what's going on here? But I think in War of the Spark, they may have been a little more subtle. I don't know, there were Planeswalkers, hard to interact with. Some of them didn't look as good as they were. And most of them were at Uncommon. Yeah, and then there were some of the uncommon ones too. So there were maybe a, a, a wider distribution. But uh, overall, I, I really enjoyed this format. I think I enjoyed it more than most people. And if you hated the set because of the bombiness, I absolutely understand. 
So our next Chaffee goes to most annoying card. And this could be because you lost to it a lot or it just in some way, shape, or form annoyed you. So I think we were on the same page with this one. And it seemed like the Chaffee for most annoying card goes to Blood Vile Purveyor. But I think we picked it for different reasons. I picked it because at first glance when we read this card, I was like, this card's amazing. Like, you're never going to lose with this card on the battlefield. And then it kind of felt like it was terrible. But then it also kind of felt like it actually was pretty good. So I never yeah. really landed on like where to grade this card. It felt pretty good, but it also kind of felt bad. And I don't I don't know. I found that this card was great and that overall the downside of giving your opponent blood. It, I mean, it, it kind of went both ways. So first of all, it was like, all right, overcosted four mana, five, six flampler, right? So we got to give the opponent a drawback. We got to give you a drawback. Uh, give your opponent a blood when they cast a spell. But then let's give you a little bonus too. When it attacks, it gets plus X plus O, where X is the amount of blood they have. So it, it kind of, I don't know, it almost balances out where the, the, the two little things negate each other and you're left with just this four mana, five, six flampler. Uh, I, I found this card to be amazing. I put it as the most annoying card just because it's so stupid. <laughs> it's, it's uh, the, the design openly taunts you. It's like, yeah, try to find a kill spell for this. Look at your deck full of um, wolf strikes and, uh, and and rending flames, and I laugh at you. Just like, what are you going to do about this? And then it's even like, oh, here, try to find the kill spell. Here, loot through your whole deck, see if that helps. <laughs> <laughs> I also want to mention by invitation only, this card is annoying to me. I do not like this card in this format. It, it just, it, it felt strange. I didn't like that the sacrifice was a thing when there were some cool cards that gave indestructible. I don't know. It also, uh, around half an hour ago, I got blown out by a buy invitation only. So maybe I'm a little recency biased here, but I, I just, I'm not a big fan of this one. I found it pretty annoying. Next up, we've got best jank. Ooh, uh, a classic chaffy. What do you got for this one? For me, I picked Jacob Halkin because... It's like a mythic that really didn't do anything in limited, but also had the potential to be really good. Like if you could get the mm -hmm. get it to work, it was really good, but it felt pretty janky. Yeah, I mean it's a mythic looter, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's that that's about as janky as it gets. Uh, when this card worked, it was it was cool. I liked that it scaled with the game, where you, if you play it on turn two, you have to wait quite a while to activate its ability. If you top deck it on turn eight, you're like, all right, well I can flip this next turn. Uh, and then start going off with it. I picked Sigarda's Summons. Now, I got this card to work a few times. Uh, the training deck, people were lower on. I think I did crack the code on how to play white in this format. I I felt pretty confident slamming multiple Parish Blade trainees. And actually, I think that was part of the secret. I think you had to play them in multiples. If you had four of those things and you could just put the counters on each other and it kind of turned into a, an Ozolith effect where your counters just never go away ever and you're just shifting counters from one creature to another creature and they're training everything else. That stuff's cool. If you can manage to get a bunch of good counter stuff going and then slam a cigar to summons, you just win the game on the spot. It is just a six mana, you win the game. Panic Bystander was a fun card to make work, especially in non-black-white decks. If you just had a handful of life gain cards, if you had a few kindly ancestors and a few... Uh, a few traveling ministers, you just got to go off. You could gain that three life pretty easily. Even the Heron let you do it. And then you could just basically have a two mana three five in white. That's not a bad card. That, that That's that's pretty great if you can get it there. Uh, speaking of high toughness, I love Dormant Grove. This card was way better than it looked upon first read. Yeah, it's unfortunate that the, the main archetype that it belonged to didn't quite get there, and we'll get to that in a bit. But I was also pleasantly surprised with this card. I think it did a good job of, of stalling board states out long enough for you to actually get the creature to flip. Sometimes you didn't even want it to flip. You're like, just keep giving yeah. me the counters, and you would spread them out so you never hit six toughness or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a fun card, and it, it did actually provide a handful of different play patterns. Yeah, it sometimes made this fun little mini game where you have a kill spell, and your opponent is like clearly trying to get to their sixth toughness on like a, a smaller creature. And you're like, ooh, do I save this to deal with that? So then they have to keep putting counters on stuff so they don't get it. Or do I want to flip it so then I can kill the Grove Strider itself? A lot of cool stuff going on. Next up, we have the Chaffy Award for Chaffiest Chaff. This is clearly Honeymoon Hearse. This card oozes flavor. It's got flavors spilling out of the hearse itself. It sucks, though. Yeah, it's also, it's <laughs> it, it will never see play. Nobody wants this. It is, it is, I can't imagine worth more than a penny to anyone. This, it's just, sorry, <laughs> but uh, it is very thematically appropriate. It, it's also a vampire wedding set. They had to have some wedding flavor. I, we should maybe honorable mention the, uh, the, the uh, wedding dress and, and bride's stuff. That, that stuff didn't really get there anyway. 
It is literally worth one penny, by the way. But yeah, hearse, hearse is like when when even look, we typically talk about draft chaff as being cards that people leave around at the table. And we did a whole episode on what we consider draft chaff to be. So maybe check that out if you're interested in hearing us talk about it. Maybe we'll do a follow up to that sometime in the future for newer folks. But when your draft chaff is even like drafters don't want it, then you really know it's chaff. And this is Honeymoon Hearse yeah. through and through. Like nobody wants this card in their decks. It very infrequently saw play. I would only play it if I literally needed a 23rd playable and couldn't find it elsewhere. And mm-hmm. I've never been happy casting the cards. So I think I probably would have really enjoyed a deck with like six Valdaren Epicures and two Honeymoon Hearses. I never got that, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Epicure was just good enough that everybody wanted one anyway, so you were never really going yeah. to get that many of them. Do want to shout out Skulking Killer here as well, the format of 4-2 Assassin. Uh, I, I'm going to read it just in case anyone doesn't know what it does, because it, you know, no one played it. When it enters the battlefield, target creature and opponent controls gets minus two, minus two until end of turn if that opponent controls no other creatures. So it's like a Ravenous Chupacabra, Flame Tongue Kavu type effect. Four mana forts you that kills one of their things only if they have just one creature. So, so the flavor here is like if you're by yourself, you're going to get stabbed by this vampire. Thematically, pretty fun. Actual gameplay wise, just awful. Because it feels so bad when I actually had someone land a Skulking Killer on me once and they took out my one creature. Also, the one creature has to have two toughness or else this just does nothing anyway. I did have someone land it and it just ended the game. It's it's like 99% of the time, this is a just not very good card. 1% of the time, it ends the game and just makes it like such a big swing that it just doesn't feel fun. This is just what, what, what a masterpiece of, of bizarre thematic design. Yeah, it feels very win more. Like, if they only have one creature, how far behind oh, am yeah. I? This is the definition of a win more card. Yeah, but also, like you said, I mean, it can swing games in weird ways without being very win more. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a little bit a little bit of a strange card for sure and, and definitely falls into the chaffiest chaff category. Next up, most unexpected chaff. What have you got? Most unexpected chaff in this set was absolutely Felsinger. We were talking about this card uh, as our potential draft chaff hero, and it just did not get there. I mean, it, not that the card in and of itself was bad, but inside of this format just didn't do what we needed it to. Yeah, it's a good card, right? If you if you curve, again, uh, an Epicure into this and manage to get two more cards out of it, yeah, awesome. You did it. However, the exploit deck just didn't really come together overall. It was it was there, but you really needed a lot of particular pieces that, you know, the average exploit deck didn't really tend to get. I put Diver Scab for mine for similar reasons. It's it's annoying. It's a 3-5. It's a good blocker, but it just didn't really seem like the mythic uncommon that it could have been. I don't know. This one, uh, again, a lot of these uncommons in the exploit deck kind of fell short, right? Yeah, I mean, most of the like good exploit cards were cards that worked no matter what deck they were put in. They didn't need all of the exploit fodder and everything. Like, uh, like the Amalgam was one yeah. of them that's just like it was yeah. stupendous on its own, and it didn't need the rest of the support that the other ones needed. Whereas like Diver Scob and Felstinger kind of needed to make sure that the the fodder was there because they they weren't inherently upgrading the card you were killing in the first place. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the deck really needed some stuff to come together. I have seen it come together, though. Like, it can be quite good. All right, next up is our top drafted commons, and we added this one with our 17 lands data. So I'll give this a go, and this time around, my my top drafted card was actually a tie between two pretty powerful red cards. I'm, I'm pleased with my top drafted picks here, and those are Falconrath Celebrants and Blood Petal Celebrant tied for first place there as my top drafted common. And you're, you're celebrating over here. I am pretty proud of, of my my top one. I've got Reckless Impulse. Who would have thought? Intriguing. Yeah, I don't think I expected that. Yeah, uh, a few behind. I've got Traveling Minister, Parish Blade Trainee. Actually, uh, my, my, my little two-card combo here. Parish Blade Trainee and Daybreak Combatants. A little one, two, or I guess two, three punch to immediately train your Parish Blade Trainee. Uh, and then if it gets into combat, you get a 3-3 out of the Daybreak Combatants. I, I like this little uh, this little red-white curve. Red-white was definitely my favorite archetype in this format. How many of your top common did you draft? 53. 53 wow. Reckless Impulses, yeah. All right, and next up is the Chaffee for the worst bad card to lose to. These are the ones that real, really make you groan when you see them on the battlefield and you're, uh, the game's not going your way. They can just be absolutely awful. So, Ben, what do you have for worst bad card to lose to? Bloody Betrayal. <laughs> that one also kind of recency bias, but 
supernatural rescue as well. That little white aura that you can flash in with spirits and it taps stuff down. So many times I felt like I'd stabilized and had a solid board and then they just, they cast Supernatural Rescue and I'm like, ah, what? Am I just dead now? Man, you know, these cards that you don't think to play around, but the best of the best do. That's why I'm, I'm I'm not quite in that archetype. Yeah, and for me, I had End the Festivities, not because it's a card that you see a lot, well, and you shouldn't, I mean, it's not a fantastic card, but I have seen it used effectively against me where opponent you know, sets up some blocks where I'm playing vampires or something, and they set up blocks just enough to get basically turn and the festivities into a board wipe. Oh, and yeah. that feels really awful. Yeah, a bunch of one toughness creatures all just melt away at once. I had someone sideboard this in against me when I was playing green white humans, and I I was playing like the farmer and all that, and uh, it, it was embarrassing. Yeah, and I never really think to to like think about this card. I usually have vampires vengeance on my mind. Yeah, because it's just much better, and. Yeah, and the festivities will do just that if you're not careful. Next up, we've got our pet card in the format. What do you got? Anya, Maid of Dishonor. The vampire thing, this this format was just hands down my favorite thing to do, and I couldn't get enough of it. And Anya's play patterns with like just being able to sack blood tokens because those decks can generate ridiculous amounts of them. But then also when you're like, hey, I'm out of blood tokens, but like I feel like you know I've, I've got lethal basically if I just start blowing my board up. Like, oh, I can yeah. do that too. Yeah, Anya was awesome. I'm going to go with Halana and Elena. Shocking. Absolutely love them. <laughs> it's honestly one of my new favorite magic cards, like overall in general. Uh, and then I happen to open up that like alt art misprint version. It's it's just been a sign. Um, this is this is one of my, my staple cards now. I started playing them in Brawl. I made a, a Brawl deck around them um, to try to test out some ideas for a, a commander deck. There's lots of cool little counter synergies. Uh, iridescent Horn Beetle. Who would have thought? Counters deck all-star. Terrible in, in ZNR, <laughs> but uh, not bad outside of it. And honestly, uh, runner-up has got to go to the Creepy Dollhouse. People keep passing me this card. I don't I don't understand. This card, it's just God Pharaoh's gift if you use it right. It, 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 in some ways, it can be better. It comes down earlier, and it, it revives you all the cool enters the battlefield triggers, and I like that they start small, but then as you... As you make more of them, they get bigger, and you have to think about, well, do I want to trade one off in combat when I could get three of them next turn, then the three threes? Lots of cool things. Um, A great combo with blood, too. I loved, say, discarding a creature to a blood token, immediately reanimating it, and then, you know, kind of churning through my deck like that. Really, really cool card. Cool design. Our next chat here goes to most disappointing archetype, and... I've got to say, I'm, I was at a loss for which to pick here. They were all kind of bad. Eh, not all of them. You know, there were some good ones, but. Well, I mean, like black red was good, but like, and I, I guess maybe white black could have, could be good sometimes, but like what else was good? I feel like those are the two good archetypes and the rest of them were just not. Red green was good. Oh, red green was good. Yeah, yeah, you got me there. Yeah, I had a lot of success with red white, but I am, I think, turning into a bit of an aggro fiend in limited at this point. Yeah, uh, honestly, I think a few did disappoint me. Green-white was just a little worse than I wanted it to be. I would have liked to see training pushed a little further. The guys over on LR talked about it this past week, and I think they they nailed it. Putting a uh, a mechanic that begets low-power creatures on an aggressive archetype just doesn't really work. I think this, this could have been fixed. Honestly, if they had just kind of made training in addition to good stats as is and made training something that you had to work for a little bit. I think the the mechanic itself is fine. I would have made Parish Blade training a 2-2 and that way you'd need like a three power creature to train it. And then I would put like, you know, everything else as normal. Maybe had the the flyer be like a three mana 3-1 flyer or 2-2 flyer or something like that. Just kind of even out the stats because they were all kind of toned down a little bit. Maybe have them all even across the board uh, and then just put training on. That would have been much better. A little slower to get going, but, you know, a much better archetype. Yeah, it seemed like they tried to tier them so that, like, no matter what which cards you were playing, you had something that could train them. Mm-hmm. But then, it yeah, it kind of messed up the whole, like, aggro plan. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe a little bit of extra balancing there would have been nice. Yeah, got to shout out the exploit deck again here. A little disappointing. It, sometimes when it went off, it usually involved the signpost uncommon, uh, whatever the scab was called. That thing could help you get the fodder you needed. Sometimes if you pick up enough wretched throngs, you could really annoy your opponent. Just infinite throngs. I mean, these can trade for some of the aggressive. Like when this trades for your Parish Blade trainee and then they go get another one and your trainee just didn't get to get any counters or do anything. Uh, that's when the aggro decks feel kind of left by the wayside as far as training goes. Uh, but overall, 
Uh, I think probably the strongest decks were in red, black, and, and green. Yeah, I agree. The blue decks just really didn't do it this time around, which I guess is refreshing given that blue was so powerful in the, the last set. But yeah, it feels like pretty much every blue combination archetype was not great this time around. Uh, black did pretty well, and uh, yeah, black-red was my personal favorite, followed by red-green, followed by white-black, but green-white could get there. I, I I think in terms of being disappointed, green-white takes a cake for me as well, just because the other ones I kind of f- expected to be not so great, whereas green-white felt like it could be really good, and some of the decks were, but, you know, it just didn't always get there. And I actually drafted a lot of green-white this format. Some of the decks I might just not have gotten there personally. I know people had success in blue-white with the more beat down flyers spirits tokens plan uh people saying that nurturing presence was a, a key to that archetype i just never really got into it I, I honestly don't have enough experience to say how that works out um i'm sure there's people out there if you want to do a little more research on your own listener i'm sure you could find out what's going on now time for the most important chaffy of all What's the creature that you would most want to have as a pet? Pack song pup, hands down. That little guy, he's like singing a song and he's going to grow up and be all ferocious and stuff. Uh, well, there's a problem. What happens when it grows too big? You know, that that th- those pups, I've seen 10 power pack song pups. Yeah, but the thing is, when you start them out as pups, they come to see you as part of the pack and then they just, you know, they'll love you no matter how big they get. That's why dogs are too uh, good for humanity. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I get what you're saying. Uh, I would personally go with Lightning Wolf because just look how puffy and soft it looks uh sure it could electrocute you and maybe actually oh i I have a i have a fan theory i think it probably got all that lightning on it from all the static that it's it's generating from when it rubs against things (laughs) but honestly having a uh a dog that could electrocute everyone every once in a while sounds pretty cool yeah our dog actually does that a lot anyway she especially right now because it's that time of year where static electricity is very easy to build up and so like she likes to dig in her bed so she'll dig but you can every so often you'll hear the little static shocks that she's giving herself mm. as she's digging in her bed it's it's both sad and kind of hilarious i don't know you had a lightning wolf of your own already that explains <laughs> why you want the pack song pup then all right next up is chaffee for cards never cast this is always a fun one a lot of rares in this section but i also picked out one common that i never drafted as well Ooh. For me, some of the more interesting rares that I didn't cast were Necro Duality, Toxril, and Thalia, as well as Helena Elena. I actually never drafted that card. Shame. <laughs> yeah, I think it's that I just ended up... I must have been drafting against you a lot, and I never saw them. <laughs> yeah, we were always in the same pools, and I was always taking them. Right. Uh, but the common that I didn't draft was Mind Leech Ghoul, which is one that is actually hmm. playable. I mean, it's not, a, it's not an awful card. Not... An exceptional one by any standards, but certainly not awful. There are worse cards. Sometimes Mind Leech School would come out in the mid game and sacrifice something that had a negative aura on it, and you'd feel like they kind of got there. Yeah, most of the black decks I drafted actually just ended up being vampire decks, so I never really felt the need to include it. It was it was never a card that was ever going to do anything for the the vector or the game plan that my deck was going for. Uh, I also never got to cast Necro Duality. Actually, if you want to see a good list, uh, I think Circovitz just posted one in the Discord that, that made good use of it. I didn't cast Nature's Embrace. No thank you. <laughs> Uh, and I never cast Demonic Bargain because, again, no thank you. Uh, I did cast most of the stuff in the set. I actually just had to delete Henrika Damnathi because I actually just played with her yesterday. Really fun card. Um, fun to break the synergy on the whole sacking each player sacks a creature, that kind of thing. And flipping it into a super vampire Nighthawk is, is pretty cool, too. All right, well, it's time for uh, the old recurrent segment involving uh, eating glass in some way, shape, or form. I, I don't know if this is a bit at this point. I think it it is. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep making these. <laughs> so obviously, uh, in, in the lore this time around, Olivia's windows got broken. They were some nice stained glass. So my question is, would you rather eat broken glass from Olivia's stained glass windows or be bitten by a vampire and turned into a crappy, boring Odric style vampire? <laughs> yeah, I, I think I'd hang out with Odric. Like, and typically when we frame this question, it's, it's in terms of like, would you ever play the set again kind of thing? But like, I don't know. I, th- I don't think, I don't think being a crappy, boring vampire is worse than eating broken glass. At least uh, like you're I'm, still kind of a vampire and like, I don't know. He's not the best vampire in the world, but like, you know, he didn't have to eat broken glass, which is fun. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm eyeing that glass <laughs> on this one. Odric sucked. Yeah, he <laughs> like, did. No, it's totally true. Uh, He's a three-mana 3-3. Three, three. <laughs> cannot believe they took one of the coolest and... and uh, uh, come on. Like, his cards are so iconic. Like, picking how combat works, gaining tons of cool abilities. And in this one, it's just like, oh, here. It's a three-mana 3-3. Three, three. 
that might provide card filtering if you do a lot of work. It's not even a little work, and it doesn't even spot you. And it, like, come on. Yeah, no, it's just real bad. It's, it's really bad. This was mostly just an excuse to rant about Audric one more time. That's fair. That's that's very fair. I mean, you're welcome to hop on the soapbox if you need. Yeah, I think I got out of my system. All to right. be honest, I, I would play this set again. I found the drafting experience pretty entertaining because of these high-impact rares. And yeah, every once in a while, your opponent casts Tox Rule or Breakfast Demon, and you just cry and close the game out and go for a walk or something. But in the end, I, I still had fun. And uh, personally, I find that when you focus on the times when you get to cast those cards or focus on the times when you beat those cards, plus, like, if you never got to have the play experience of beating a Tox Rule or beating a Dreadfeast Demon and then posting in Discord with a screenshot being like, look what I just did. Like, I did that myself. I, I beat an opponent that had uh, two Dreadfeast Demons. Like, that's awesome. That that feels like you climbed the impossible mountain. And that kind of play experience, I think, is something that I don't want to take away from people. Overall, fine set. Not, not an all-timer, but uh, one that I enjoyed personally. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't feel like I need to keep drafting this set, but I certainly don't feel like I would never draft it again. I came in with a total of 18 entries, uh, 18 events played, only a couple of trophies there, but um, I sat right around like a 50% win rate. So not exceptional in terms of like making me feel good, right? Like when game, like formats that you win a lot on, typically you feel better about than the ones that you didn't. But like this one felt fine. I would I would re rejoin a, a flashback draft or whatever uh, of Val, but I'm not sad to be leaving it behind. My my final game win rate in uh, in Val was 61.8 percent, and my match win rate was 64.1. So honestly, I think I I might have cracked some code for this set. I, I felt pretty confident. Um, I usually hover around 58 for sets, so this is above my average. Uh, I really enjoyed the aggressive strategies, and I really enjoyed playing best of three in the set. Uh, hence kind of the higher match win. Um, and total, I played 66 events, 15 trophies. So not 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 a terrible rate there either. Yeah, it's like... Also, an, we had this... This nearly a 33%, a little bit less than 33% trophy rate. So you're trophying about a third of your events, which is pretty ridiculous. And your your eh. match rec match record win rate is, is up there with like pro level win percentages. Oh well thanks. I mean it's closer to a quarter percent trophy rate, but um, I I gave you a little bit of a, a bump in the rounding there, but yeah. Oh my ego's bloated enough. It doesn't need that. <laughs> but honestly, uh I, I was pretty proud of my of my playing in this time around. I, I've had a lot of good games and uh like I said, I mean we were on this set for a long time. I, I did gleefully jump into Arena Cube instead of uh Val when given the chance. Honestly, I played on on Moto for a little bit instead of Val. But I I don't know. I think I like I said, for some reason this one just clicked with me. Um I, I like bombs, you know. <laughs> That's fair. I like big bombs and I cannot lie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll get that on a, on a card sleep or something. So uh, what are you looking forward to next set? We've got Kamigawa Neon. Oh, man. Like th th this set is just, it looks so cool. Like there's yeah. just so much. cool. Oh, stuff gosh. Happening. I'm really excited for Flavortown on this one. This is the first set in a while that we've been to that like has history, but we haven't been to in a really long time. Like Strixhaven was completely yeah. new and like AFR was completely new. But this one has like a lot of history and is completely different than yeah. what we thought of it as before. So I'm really excited to jump into the lore on this one. The art direction for this set has been phenomenal. Oh, oh, Hands down, from what I've seen of the spoilers so far, and more specifically most of the alt arts actually, but some of the, mm -hmm. the original arts. Hands down my favorite art set ever. The basic, the full art basic lands are Chef's Kiss. I will be replacing mm. my my beautiful uh, Theros Beyond Death full art lands for these. They are just so gorgeous, and I must have playsets of those for my draft kit. And by playsets, I mean like ten of each or whatever. Yeah, honestly, I am so impressed with what I've seen so far. I think that if you told me that we were going back to Kamigawa, and you asked me what I would like hope in my wildest dreams to see. I might say it'd be kind of cool if they did the whole like kind of future punk uh, techno inspired. They're drawing a lot from anime and manga like this would this is like the uh, the pie in the sky type <laughs> what you're hoping for. Right. But they're, they're doing it. They're pulling it off and it looks sweet. They're, they're completing cycles. They started ages ago calling back to old cards. The card names and designs have been pretty fun so far. Personally, I'm excited for Enchantress. I think that's going to be pretty cool. 
I'm excited for these mecha vehicles. It's a new take on vehicles. They're not like street cars or, uh, or like trains like we had on Kaladesh. These are like like mech titans. These are like like oh my god. These are so cool. The the one that um the Voltron one that that uh, you exile it and four other artifacts and it turns into like a ten ten uh, trample indestructible all sorts of nonsense. So cool. Uh, it's like the awesome artifact design. merit lage. Yeah yeah. Excited for the lore. Um, we might have something special in the works for uh, Flavor Town this this season if it goes well. And a uh, little bit of Phyrexian action. Jin Gitaxius. Uh, we went a little while without seeing what the Praetors were up to, but we got another one. Also, uh, I really like the, the main characters in the set. The Wanderer, Kaito. These are cool characters. Uh, interested to learn more about them. Yeah, I'm really glad that we got we got more of the Wanderer because that was a cool character from War of the Spark, and then just we heard nothing from them, which I guess makes sense given the character. Yeah. yeah. But it's cool to get a little bit more on them. Kaito seems cool as well. I, I'm curious to see how all the Spirit-E stuff works in conjunction with the future punk like cyberpunk kind of thing yeah it all looks really really cool and they're taking some interesting opportunities with this set in terms of how they're they're handling like i mean red white's mechanic is basically just let's attack a lot but hmm. we're we're getting some interesting stuff like you said with enchantress and just like different takes on some more traditional uh aspects of of limited archetypes so yeah and like yeah Utsu's back and all that kind of stuff it's gonna be really cool i'm actually particularly excited for red white i like when they try new things in the uh the red and white fields just because sometimes they don't get much but red white seems to be attack alone so like have one samurai or warrior attack alone and then you get benefits like there's a card that when you attack alone it exiles the top card of your library and you can play it this turn or one that like uh, says when a creature attacks alone buff its power or it gains lifelink or it gets first strike or stuff like that and then of course the rares tend to be ones that that are even better to attack alone i think the the red white rare if you attack alone you get an extra combat step like this stuff's cool black white has a really interesting uh design you have to control both an artifact and an enchantment in order to turn on the archetype. Now, this worried me at first. It kind of reminded me of Black White in AFR, where you had to complete a dungeon and then it turned on. And we kind of saw the shortcomings of when a set has this turned on mechanic where uh, your deck might be underpowered until you get to that that thing. And then if you don't get that thing, you're stuck with an underpowered deck. But once you get there, maybe it's a little overpowered. AFR, it went from like a bad deck to like a pretty good deck if you got a dungeon completed. So I'm a little skeptical about this, but I have to compliment the way they're doing it. You have to control an artifact and an enchantment. And some of the uh, some of the lore in the cards themselves, some of the flavor is talking about how the plane is progressing, like through their history and into the future, where they're torn between technological progress and spiritual progress. Artifacts, enchantments, technological, spiritual. This is so cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm curious as well from a from a gameplay perspective how this is going to play out. At least the thing the dungeon the dungeoneering thing had going for it was that once you completed a dungeon, it didn't. That was it. Like you always were turned on for the rest of the set or for the rest yeah. of the game. Yeah. This it sounds like if one of your enchantments or artifacts gets destroyed, then like you're back to being in this off status, and you've got to mm -hmm. find another one to turn turn the deck back on. So. That sounds a little precarious to me, but we'll see how it goes. It There are a lot of enchantments and a lot of artifacts floating around. One of my favorite things are the reconfigure artifacts. A lot of them are really weird, but they're, they're mm. artifacts that are also creatures that can be attached to things, kind of like bestow, but you can unequip them as well. Like there's a, the reconfigure cost can be paid to unequip them and just have them be creatures again. Very interesting, and some of them are just, like, obscenely playable. <laughs> Not that they're, like, broken yeah. or anything, but they are just smack you in the face with how playable they are. We got Shrines back. Can't wait to talk about all these. We're basically starting next week's episode already, but I'm honestly just so excited to talk about this stuff. Shrines are back. Sagas are back. Summit Common, which I don't think we've had before, right? Not to my knowledge. I'm really excited about the Shrines, too. I think I'm going to build Shrine EDH. Yeah, of course you are. Five colors, I assume. I have oh, a foil voice of all if you want it. I might might take that off your hands, yeah. I think that, that about does it for, for this week. We can uh, talk more about all these shenanigans next week with our format breakdown. That does it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening and sticking with us through it. Uh, definitely check out the Discord if you're not in it already. The link to that is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And if you want to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. Again, we really, really appreciate all of you who support us each week. And if you want to find us outside of the Discord, you can do so on Twitter. 
where I'm at Zach E. Hackett, Ben is at Betafish1, and the show is at DraftChaffPod. Thanks, folks, and, um, well, next we, we hear you hear from us, we'll be in Kamigawa. Speaking of which, I thought it'd be cool to talk about some of our favorite spoiler cards. And actually, it looks like when the, the time that we've been recording, a few new ones dropped. Uh, I have to say, I'm furious. They printed oh. a three green green four four creature. Uh, it lets you like look at the top bunch of cards of your library. You get a creature or an enchantment, um, and or you can gain a bunch of life. Uh, and it has reach. It looks like, uh, and the art is beautiful. It's this gorgeous stag with these like cherry blossom antlers. Don't tell me it's not an elk. It's not an elk. <laughs> it's a spirit. They could have put spirit elk. Oh my god, look at that. It's beautiful. That's a really really oh, good looking card. I have to put it in elk, right? But then it doesn't benefit from all the elk tribal stuff, which it is an elk tribal deck. I name elk with all my tribal stuff. Oh man, that's that's really infuriating. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Um some that other cool surprising. Stuff. Uh I'm really excited about the wanderer. Um, the, the Wandering Emperor, uh, as, as we know her now, she has Flash. This is a Planeswalker that has Flash, and you can activate her ability the, the turn she comes in. It's, it's almost like a, um, like a Settle the Wreckage effect, where if your opponent has two white-white available, you got to watch out. Yeah, there's also Hinata Dawn Crown, which is a new Jeskai legend. It's a 4-4 Flampler that gives spells you cast one less to cast. They cost one less to cast for each target. And spells your opponent's cast cost one more to cast for each target. Really weird. Huh? <laughs> huh? <laughs> it's like almost Jeskai feeling, but really not. And that also has beautiful art. I'm a big fan of the art on that one. Yeah, that's cool too. Uh, I love Lion Sash. That's the one of the white for an equipment. So it's an artifact creature. It's an equipment cat. It's a 1-1, one, one, and it has one white, exile target card from a graveyard. If it was a permanent, put a 1-1 one, one counter on it. Or, equipped creature, well, I guess, and? Equipped creature gets plus 1, plus 1 for each plus 1, plus 1 counter on Lion Sash, and then it has reconfigure for 2. We're going to talk more about this next week, but what a wacky mechanic. Stoneforge Mystic can fetch this creature out, and then it's yeah. graveyard hate. Like, I think I just put this in my modern deck, right? Yeah, you probably do. I'm a little disappointed with that card, though, because uh, how is that a sash? Like, come on. <laughs> how are you supposed to wear that around your body? Like, uh, no. Yeah, yeah, maybe a little. Well, it's also a creature, though, so maybe a little inconvenient. Uh, yeah, we can just leave it there. <laughs>